0: noisy horns without thought for those around. Some of the horns were locomotive whistles, blasted at high volume enough to wake the dead. Rather bizarrely, chauffeurs were also singled out in the report for their desertion of wives. Dr. John Heitman also notes that there were wider concerns about the relationship between a chauffeur and the wife of the car owner. Those who felt victimized by the chauffeurs were occasionally stirred into action, in 1905, at a meeting of the Automobile Club of America in New York City, a Mr. Shattuck noted that, for chauffeurs, the temptation to fraud had been very great. One newspaper article from the Yorkville Inquirer of January 20, 1911, considered whether a trained marksman could hit a joyriding chauffeur as a last resort if they were unable to obtain or take down their license number required for an arrest. The newspaper admitted that, most likely, passersby would get hit. Less drastic and more amusing solutions for dealing with chauffeurs' reckless joyriding were also proposed. A cartoon in the Omaha Bee of September 7, 1909 suggested an automobile design with the chauffeur section placed comically far ahead, so that any collisions would endanger the driver rather than the passenger. This, it was argued, would discourage reckless driving. Fines were also suggested as a way of dealing with joyriding chauffeurs, Increased legislation meant that the chauffeur could be held financially responsible for any damage they caused, while the owners of the car would not be held accountable so long as they would act as a witness against the chauffeur. The evening world of June 6, 1904, illustrated all the ways whereby a reckless chauffeur might have to pay heavily. Institutionally, establishments were created by motoring clubs to provide owners with repairing and tire services for their cars in order to navigate around financial exploitation by chauffeurs. But the chauffeur problem did somewhat persist. In 1909, one hearing over the Alds Ham Bill, which sought to punish joyriders in New York, declared that 90% of automobile accidents were caused by joyriding chauffeurs. Drivers defended themselves in publications like The American Chauffeur and Automobile Digest. Professional chauffeurs are hardly ever found to be intoxicated, read one article published in 1914, this being a habit indulged in largely by the so-called joyrider type. Some chauffeurs also blamed pedestrians, stating that if it were not for the jaywalking of irresponsible pedestrians, joyriding would be harmless. By around 1914, the power of the chauffeur had been weakened through legislation that restricted their freedom and increased surveillance in motor garages. Although chauffeurs made attempts to organize, they could not reclaim the position they had once held. Drivers for hire became more regulated and under the control of their employers and the motor garages. Chauffeurs' authority was further undermined by their employers' reduced dependency on them. Motorists could turn elsewhere for mechanical expertise, rather than to chauffeurs, says Borg. With more and more cars every year, automobile and mechanical knowledge diffused, particularly with the motorization of the U.S. Army for World War I. The technical foundation on which the chauffeur's power rested had been removed, and growing numbers of motorists who could not afford a chauffeur got behind the wheel themselves. Joyriding was over. The insolent drivers had been tamed, and with that, the chauffeur problem was solved.